You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. Everybody, buongiorno, buenos dias, ni hao, konnichiwa, motherfuckers. Welcome, one and all, young and old, to Abakabu Cafe, the English language Kimagure Orange Road podcast. My name is Jason Almy, and I'm the host of this fine program. I want to say thank you very much for tuning in because today we're going to be talking about television episode 43 entitled Heartbroken Shikaru. Follow her to Winter Beach. This episode originally aired on February the 1st of 1988. It was directed by Morikawa Shigeru, who has directed a number of episodes at this point. Importantly, Morikawa directed TV episode number seven. That's the Spark Colored Kiss episode. And as we're going to see today, he picks up on a few of the themes that he laid down in that episode. Most recently, Morikawa directed episode 35. That's the pervert with the camera episode. And honestly, it couldn't be more different than today's episode. Uh, it's it's actually kind of wild that this episode came from Morikawa, given the rest of what he's done. He did the Don't Ring the Wedding Bell episode. He did the uh, UFO episode. He did Hawaiian Suspense uh, he did the one where Kasuga had that weird fantasy about smacking Ayukawa. So this one's kind of out of left field, and it's not even coming from a one-time, one-shot director. Last week, we had a director who was one and done, only directed episode 42. That would have made more sense if with this episode, we got a one and done director whose only episode was this one, because this one is just so stylistically distinctive. Nonetheless, it was brought to us by a veteran director like Morikawa. This episode was written by Tomita Sukehiro, who is also a veteran writer, right up behind Terada Kenji. Tomita has 12 episodes to his credit now, including today's. Most recently, before today's episode, Tomita wrote the episode where Ayukawa settled the fight with the gang by skateboarding down a construction site, which 
also seems pretty far from this episode. So I guess at the top of our discussion, I got to say, this is a weird fucking episode. It's actually kind of off-putting a little bit. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying that I dislike it, but it's it's off-putting. I don't know if it's the stylistic differences that make it feel very much as if it's not an Orange Road episode, but it's almost a little disconcerting. I think maybe it's the material. It's the way the material's handled. I'm going to talk a lot about some of what's done stylistically in this episode that make it a little bit more grating for us. And I think a little less comfortable for us as the viewer. And I think that was intentional. I think some of the stylistic differences were were intended to make us feel a little less comfortable as the viewer. And that's a lot of what I want to talk about today. So getting into that, some of our stylistic differences include artsy inner titles that were used that don't really convey any actual meaning or significance, at least not really. Uh, Our first intertitle is Cubic Game. Then we have Elation, which is spelled completely wrong. Believe Me, which is spelled slightly wrong. Orange No Noise, which is orange noise. Then Cry, Cry, Cry. That one makes the most sense for all of the ones in this episode. And then Eden. Also with this episode, I have read that they brought in animators who didn't do much other work on this show. Although I'm not sure if that is much of a factor here because the director and writer team of this episode have done a ton of other work on other episodes earlier in the series that are much more characteristic of what we expect stylistically and content-wise from an Orange Road episode. But what really I think we need to notice first and foremost about this episode is how much disembodied dialogue takes place here, where the speaker is not shown. Sometimes instead, the imagery is something unrelated. Sometimes listener is shown in order to uh, convey their response to what's being said, but But otherwise, you don't see a lot of dialogue be delivered in this episode, which is uh, kind of uncommon. I mean, usually in films, usually in television, we see the person as they're delivering their dialogue, as they're saying what they need to say, at least much of the time. And here, it's the opposite. Almost never do we see anyone actually deliver their dialogue. And it gives this ethereal kind of dreamlike quality. And I'll mention that again uh, as I talk specifics, but this uh, dreamlike visual quality. So the dialogue, it floats out over the images. Also, this is a fairly silent episode. It's mostly devoid of background music. And uh, it does have a little bit in, especially the, the back half of the episode, we do get a little bit of of background music that that is brought in. But until a key moment, we really don't hear a lot of background music. And that's a little bit weird for us too, because it's something that Orange Road is so well known for is its music. In addition to the disembodied dialogue, we also get a lot of melancholy imagery. Just thinking about a beach in the wintertime, we see seabirds calling out from above as they circle around over the ocean and We see boats anchored with their sails down. They're not going anywhere, right? They're they're anchored for the winter. It's sort of an antithesis to Orange Road's typical bright and shiny kind of summertime feel. I mean, if you think about 
earlier beach episodes, such as episode 19, I mean, everything is super saturated colors. The sky is bluer than blue. And Ayuka's bathing suit is as red as you could possibly imagine. All of the colors are saturated. They pop. But here, even though we're getting similar imagery of a, a beach, we we don't get the same color. We get cool kind of bluish gray colors. It's like uh, now that the boys of summer have gone. And it represents a really, a pretty big stylistic departure. Now, Kasuga's introductory voiceover, pretty common for us to start an episode with a little bit of voiceover from Kasuga, but his introductory voiceover is kind of cryptically delivered as the camera shows us a cityscape reflected in the windows of a skyscraper. So we get kind of a tight-ish shot on a, a skyscraper. We see the windows and reflected in the windows is the rest of the cityscape that would be positioned behind the camera. And there's this jaunty angle of the camera as well. So we're not looking at a flat horizon that that moves perfectly horizontally across the screen, but the, the horizon is tilted. It's kind of a 45 degree angle. So things are already askew. With our very first establishing shot of the episode, we get this skewed, kind of twisted, warped viewpoint. And I think it says a lot about what's to come in this episode. And again, there are no colors here. It's not a cityscape with neon. It's not a cityscape with beautiful sunset behind it. I mean, you can imagine a much more colorful picture. Here, it's just the kind of cool metal. It almost feels lifeless. We move on to Kasuga and Kazuya having a conversation about uh, forming a band. Kazuya wants Kasuga to join with them. And and the voices of these characters are kind of disjointed. Kasuga and Kazuya are having this traditional back and forth where they're delivering lines to each other, but we're not seeing them at all. We're seeing images of a fashion building, of a, a car, and it... it evokes images of like fashion, cars, shopping, materialism, um, commerce, instead of seeing the two characters actually discuss these things. Next, we see a long shot of the characters in Abakabu, and we see blurred chairs and trees in the foreground. And it gives us this impression of voyeurism that we're going to see a lot in this episode too. The long shot creates distance, between us as the spectator and the characters. And it gives the impression that we're looking at them over a distance, like we're watching them across the restaurant, as if we're seated in Abakabu as well, and we're gazing across the restaurant at them. And it also gives room for these foreground objects. So the the trees, the the blurred chairs, again, they're not in focus. They're too close to the camera to be in focus. And what is what is in focus is the characters that we're uh, peeking in on. It's like we're looking in on their private lives. We're privy to their romantic entanglements. That's true for every episode in the show. That's the whole point of Orange Road. But here they're really reminding us that that's the case. Kasuga and Ayukawa are behind the bar. They're working while Shikaru and Kazuya are seated on the customer side of the bar. At the same time, Kazuya and Shikaru are asking Kasuga and Ayukawa to join the band. Kasuga and Ayukawa are positioned almost like adults, while Kazuya and Shikaru are like the children. 
Kosuga's early chastisement of Shikaru foreshadows the coming conflict between the two of them. And I wondered here, did Kazuya talk Shikaru into forming the band? It seemed like his idea at first. He brought it up to Kasuga before Shikaru did. And Ayukawa gives Kasuga a little smile as Shikaru is looking sad. Is she trying to get Kasuga to relent and change his stance on joining the band? Or was she kind of happy that he was rebuffing Shikaru, who's sort of putting his foot down for once? Now, Kazuya seems just as excited as Shikaru when Kasuga does begrudgingly agree to joining the band. And Kasuga also tells them not to blame him when something goes wrong. This is heavy foreshadowing. But he can't have known what was going to happen, or could he? I guess he does have psychic dreams about the future. But even still, he's got a bad feeling going into this. And that's setting the tone for the episode. It's uncommon for episodes to have their tone set like that. I mean, most of the time, Kasuga is falling asleep in the chair and falling out of it at Abakabu, while Master Naiko would just go on working, barely noticing that he's fallen out of his chair. I mean, it's usually this kind of goofy stuff. But here, there is a much greater sense of foreboding on top of that weird kind of voyeuristic feeling that we've got and this very strange, very ethereal and dreamlike disconnection of of imagery and and dialogue. So we're already off to like this weird start with the episode. And next we get shots of Kasuga. They're at practice now. And Kasuga's seated, leaning up against the wall. Like a kid, he's over there with Kazuya. Neither of them have anything to do while the band is practicing. Kasuga's looking forlorn, gloomy. He's not just looking bored. I mean, a lot of times in this show, he makes a a big weird face when he's looking bored. He'll yawn and he'll look dopey, but it's amusing. It's funny. Here, he looks pensive. It's this kind of moody aesthetic that they're trying out with him this week. It's like they're trying something new on for him. It's a different characterization for him. Now, his presence in the band is an obvious example of how pliable he is. He doesn't want to disappoint anybody, so he gets talked into shit he's not comfortable with. He even tried to say no a moment ago in Abakabu, but Shikaru put the pressure on by pouting. And so he relented, of course. But what Kasuga's missing here is his typical optimism. And I mean, he might be an obtuse dolt, but he's not usually morose or depressed or moody. And not only are the establishing shots muted, cool, grayish hues, largely black and white, no real color to speak of, but most of the interiors are also bland and uncolorful, like the Picaru's practice area. There's not really any decorations on the wall. There's no pops of color. It's just kind of a bland off-white wall. We see a brief sequence of the band practicing, and those shots evoke the second opening. We get cuts of the various characters playing their instruments. We get a filter, maybe looks a bit like an old CRT television effect. And it's here that we see the most color that we're going to get all episode. We see some really saturated reds and yellows in the background kind of flashing during this montage, and it evokes the idea of stage lighting. But it's short, and that's all we're going to get. And then Yukari comes in, and she's back after 20 episodes just to make shit weird. 
I appreciate the work they did to establish Yukari and Shu's rocky relationship. It's good foreshadowing for this episode, but because they did it like 20 episodes ago, it was about long enough for me to forget about their tumultuous relationship. Shu hands off the drumsticks to Kasuga like, here you go, bitch. But also like he knows he's handing the job off to Kasuga. Like he knows he's not going to be back and that that's Kasuga's role now. Kasuga's coming off the bench to drum. Now, thanks to Kazuya's prying, the gang is privy to Yukari's slap when she smacks Shu. We only see enough to know that Yukari is pissed at him. We don't actually learn why she's pissed. What's he done? What conflict is going on between them that warrants her to be so angry and to smack him like that? And we don't see any reactions from the gang either after the slap. It's kind of realistic in that sense. They all seem really kind of too shocked and maybe a little bit too shy to do or say anything. It's just a weird, awkward situation for them to have witnessed. And you can tell that none of them really want to make a move. It's just kind of ugh, like we just saw this thing that we'd, we'd rather not have seen. But instead of getting a reaction, we cut to the exterior of the practice room and we just see the door shut. As Costco pushes it closed, it closes us, the audience, out of the practice room, and it denies us their immediate response to witnessing Yukari slapping Shu. So again, it continues this strong sense of voyeurism here. With Kazuya peeking at Yukari and Shu's conflict, we get to see his point of view as Yukari smacks Shu. And then with the camera cutting to the other side of the door when Kasuga shuts it, followed by this fade out, it sort of pushes us out. We're voyeurs, but it's not in the omniscient sense. And we get even more disembodied dialogue as Kasuga and Ayukawa chat on their way home. We get lots of long shots during their exchange as well. We see them only from afar. And it denies us this level of detail because they mostly just appear as silhouettes. And we don't get to see them very closely, so we don't get to see the responses in their facial expressions. Something that Orange Road animators are usually very good about is displaying complexities of Ayukawa's emotions or inner world without any dialogue, wordlessly. But it's not something that we get here in this conversation because we really only ever see her from afar. We don't see them delivering any of their lines. Even as Kasuga is saying goodnight, we only see an image of him standing without his mouth moving. It's an image of Kasuga from a few minutes after the goodnights were said as he's watching to make sure Ayukawa gets inside okay before he walks home. So the audio we're hearing and the images that we're seeing are out of sync temporally as well. We're hearing audio from a few minutes earlier, and we're seeing Kasuga a few minutes after that audio as he's watching to make sure Ayukawa gets inside okay. Once the light flicks on, he knows he's okay to go. It really heightens the disjointed style of this episode and the dreamlike nature of this episode. And it's here that Ayukawa really should have invited Kasuga in. Wouldn't have been appropriate either, but it would have saved everybody a lot of trouble in this episode. And all of the disjointedness, the lack of music, the complete absence of any humor creates this sense of foreboding. And this sense of foreboding is continuing through these scenes. 
I mean, it's like no one thought Shikaru was going to die in episode 10 just because Kasuga had some goofy foreboding dream that she was. Nobody thought that was going to happen. Even your very first time watching Orange Road, if you didn't know shit about Orange Road, you didn't think they were going to kill one of the three main characters in the 10th episode with 38 episodes left. But in this episode, it feels like anything could happen. That sense of foreboding makes it feel like something serious could go down in this episode. Next, Kasuga happens upon Yukari in a phone booth quite by accident. He just bumps into her. Small world shit. We hear part of her conversation. She's on the telephone. But again, we don't see her mouth actually moving. Instead, we get Kasuga's point of view. He can only see her back as she's standing there in the telephone booth. And apparently, Yukari does what Ayuko should have done because we cut to Kasuga back in Yukari's apartment. And it's here that we see the connection with episode seven, the spark colored kiss episode, which was the first episode directed by Morikawa. And we see the connection in that Kasuga is being very sensitive to his relative maturity compared with Yukari. Yukari makes him feel a little childish by teasing him about the name of the band Picarus. Apparently that's a little childish, but of course, Shikari came up with it. So the shoe fits. Also, when Yukari offers him some beer, Kasuga initially declines on the grounds that he's too young. He's just a junior high school student after all. But then a moment later, he accepts her offer without any further prodding from her. It's like he reconsidered. He didn't want to seem young all of a sudden. And turning down the beer because he's in junior high made him seem too young. So just like with episode seven, where he was insecure about his relative maturity compared to Ayukua because she seems so worldly and experienced and possibly not a virgin. And Kasuga felt that. He feels it again here with Yukari, who is an older character, who is almost certainly not a virgin, who is far more worldly. She's got her own place after all. Kasuga is trying his damnedest to put forth a older and more mature vibe so he can match the vibe that he's sensing from Yukari. And as Yukari offers Kasuga the booze, we cut to a pan of the outside of her apartment building, going across the outside of her apartment building. And this is not an establishing shot. Of course, we've already seen the inside of Yukari's apartment when she first opened the beer. So we already know where we are. The shot of the outside of her apartment was just to create distance again, disembody the voices, don't show us Kasuga's face as he's deliberating whether or not he should have a beer. And it's interesting that it always seems like it's the women who, who get Kasuga drunk. Like in episode seven, it was Ayukua who fed him alcohol. He didn't even know he was having alcohol until he tasted it in episode seven. She totally ordered him an alcoholic beverage and put that shit on him. Now, Yukari is encouraging him to drink. Something about Kasuga having good intentions, but being a people pleaser, I think, is the general theme. Like, he wouldn't be drinking on his own, but when someone else offers him a drink or or orders him a drink, it's part of that, like, going along with it and trying to match that other person's vibe. It's part of being a people pleaser, and it is a little bit part of his insecurity. I also need to mention that when we see the interior of Yukari's place, it also lacks color. It's largely monochrome. If you look at her couch, her wall, her carpet, it's all kind of bland. None of it's saturated. None of it pops. 
there's not even really much decoration. It actually looks like she's in the process of moving. And apparently they watch TV all night, but she does get pretty dang close by the end of it. That last shot, she's leaning on him, and the lights are out except for the TV, and it paints a fairly intimate picture. And we finally get to hear a bit of background music as Casca is waking up from drinking. He wakes up on what looks like a makeshift spot to crash, so at least it doesn't look like he's laying in Yukari's bed. But his pants are pretty much off. He's got like one foot in one of his pant legs still. And I gotta say, that looks pretty damning. I find myself wondering every time I watch this episode, did Yukari pop Kasuga's cherry? I mean, why would she have to shower after just watching TV? Who watches TV and then needs a shower from that activity? Although I can think of some other activities that you might want to shower after. As he's walking down the hallway toward Yukari, it's this long, almost painfully long walk. And we see more shadows, muted colors. Everything's darkened. There's no lights on. He's not turning any lights on. And he's just walking down this long, dark hallway for what feels like forever and the only sound you hear is the muffled sound of the shower in the bathroom and a little bit of that background music and it just draws that tension out and again it continues that sense of foreboding almost like a horror film when the character's moving slowly through a space and you can feel that there's something bad waiting for them it's this strong sense of foreboding that's really uncharacteristic stylistically for for Orange Road. When Kasuga sees Yukari coming out of the bathroom with nothing but a towel on, he freaks out. He splits shit and he heads home, apparently getting home in the wee hours of the morning. The twins confront slash congratulate Kasuga in voiceover as well. We don't see any of that exchange. We are positioned as the audience outside of Kasuga's apartment on the ground level, looking up as the light comes on and he has the exchange with his sisters. Again, it's more of this voyeuristic element. He leaves us down there on the ground level. He goes in and we don't follow him. Most episodes, we would follow him. The camera would move with him omnisciently. Instead, just as with the earlier scene when Kasuga shut the practice door, closing us out, it's a similar effect. We're, we're left on the ground level And all we can do is look up and in. In the next scene, Kasuga is playing drums rather frantically. He's really gritting his teeth. He's really sweating. And intercut with this is a flashback of Shikaru rather uncharacteristically using logic and reasoning to confront Kasuga about his whereabouts on the previous night. Usually she's just bubbly and blissfully ignorant that Kasuga really isn't that into her. And here Kasuga cooks up a lie. Shikaru is right back to her old self. She seems to buy it hook, line, and sinker. We find out that maybe there's some lingering doubts, but she seems to go with it. The colors in the drum scene are muted and dull. It doesn't even look like Kasuga's got any lights on as he's playing the drums. And in the school hallway flashback, they're also muted and dull. And normally the school hallway is much more brightly lit. It's filled with light. You can see all of the colors going up and down the hallway. But in Kasuga's flashback in today's episode, it's gray 
and it's got this harsh sunlight that streams in through the windows, looks overexposed, and it's washing things out, and you just get the grays, and uh, really removes all of the color from this episode. Now, just as Kosuga remembers his lie, he hurts his wrist. So he seems somewhat overcome with guilt. He even walks past Shikaru and the twins without so much as acknowledging them. It's like his mind is a million miles away. He doesn't even look at him as he walks past them on the stairs. The power plays an interesting role in today's episode. It's useful, like it is in previous episodes, but it's depicted a little bit differently. Not so explicitly. So unlike Anohi, even though this is a very serious episode, the power is still here. It's still necessary. But it's more understated. We don't get to hear that sound that it makes every time Kasuga uses the power. And we don't see Kazuya reading minds explicitly. But we do know that Kazuya's power is important here. He has read some minds so far in this episode. His telepathy means that he knows exactly what Kasuga is thinking. He knows that Kasuga feels guilty. He knows that Kasuga spent the night at Yukari's the night before. He knows Kasuga's secrets. And we don't have any reason to think Kasuga told him these. Kazuya must have used his telepathy power to read Kasuga's mind. Kurumi, of course, knows the tricks. She plies Kazuya with chocolate and he spills the beans off screen. I wonder how Kazuya was able to disclose what he knew about Kasuga's whereabouts the night before without blowing his cover and revealing that he has telepathy. But it's not an important question for us to ask ourselves, apparently. And of course, Shikaru bolts. She runs away in shock. She's upset. She's hurt. As she does so, there's this blinding light behind her. Just as with the uh, earlier flashback of them at school, when she first confronted Kasuga, the light is a blinding. It almost seems overexposed, but it washes out all of the detail around Shikaru. She essentially becomes a figure standing in a white background because she's enveloped by this light around her and any detail of any other building or street or sign or billboard is lost because that overexposed light is just so bright. And Kasuka pursues her. He follows her up the stairs rapidly, and we get a sense of the rapidity with these couple of jump cuts as he goes up the stairs. He gets up the stairs very, very fast, but we have these jump cuts. The camera moves in a really rough kind of jerky manner. It seems to be approximating a, a handheld style, a very cinema veritas style as he pursues her up the stairs. And we get a little bit more limited background music here too, as Shikaru runs aimlessly through what appears to be a cityscape filled with people. But they're reduced to mere outlines. There's no detail. It's just the abstract notion of her running through throngs of people. Back in the practice room, we get to see Komatsu and Hata. Of all f***ing people, they got the nerve to give Kasuga shit about lying. Of all people, those two get up on their high horse. As if those two would-be serial rapists have any moral high ground to stand on, We're talking about two kids that would look up to Bill Cosby now, not Bill Cosby in the 1980s. We're talking about Bill Cosby circa 2022. 
I don't even know why those kids are still around after last episode, what they did to Kasuga last episode. But it's like they get worse and worse. Komatsu and Hata, they don't get better. They get worse and worse every episode. And I don't care if they're right this episode. They should have kept their mouths shut because those two guys are assholes. They don't got any business giving anybody a hard time about lying or anything. They used a brainwashed Kasuga to steal duffel bags of panties a few episodes back. What are they lecturing him about lying for? Ayukawa, on the other hand, is looking pretty pissed, just like you'd expect. She nonetheless defends Kasuga. She insists that they should all believe him. If he says it, it's true. You got to appreciate that. And of course, Yusaku has to come in and punch Kasuga because he's always erupting in violence because he can't express his pent-up homosexual desires for Kasuga. What it is, is he's just jealous that Kasuga apparently is giving everybody else the pipe but him. It turns out Ayukawa was just waiting to be alone with Kasuga to slap him. Usually she doesn't care. She'll usually slap him when everyone else is looking. She doesn't give a shit. And it's here that Kasuga hits his peak of self-pity. I don't know why Kasuga blames his dalliance with Yukari on them forming a band like he just knew something was going to go wrong if they formed a band. He could have bumped into Yukari at any time. Yukari could have been fighting with Shu at any time. It really had nothing to do with the band. It was just Yukari was pissed at Shu. Kasuga bumped into her. She wanted to get drunk with somebody. Maybe mess around. I don't know. Still a big question mark there. That has nothing to do with them forming the Picarus. We cut back to Shikaru. She is riding a train now. Who knows where she's going? The people around her on the train, they're just these white images. They're not silhouettes because there is some detail to their lines. You can see which ones are wearing glasses. You can see their facial expressions, but there's no color to any of them at all. So they're drawn, but they're not colored in. And this causes Shikaru to stand out by contrast. Of course, she's fully rendered in color. So she pops out amongst this uh, crowd of kind of nobodies. And this episode really just seems to be an experiment with these characters in this situation. It's much more in line with the serious tone of the movie Anohi, while being more aesthetically bold, really more aesthetically bold than Anohi or any of the other television episodes. And this is a heavy episode. It's a huge tonal and aesthetic shift for the series. But again, the the weight of this episode, the gravity of this episode, the sense of foreboding, the ethereal dreamlike nature of this episode is all constructed with the visual film language. As I mentioned a few episodes back when I was talking about the uh, giant monster Jingoro episode, that episode was stylistically identical to every other Orange Road episode that preceded it. In terms of the content, what we were witnessing was a vast departure. Kasuga as an ace fighter pilot with confidence? I don't think so. And a sexual history with Ayukawa? I don't think so. Suddenly, Shikaru is running a daycare or an orphanage or something. Kazuya is an orphan who's not related to Kasuga. Uh, Takashi is not Kasuga's father, but he still refers to him as dad. The whole thing was just weird, but that's because it was a a play within a, a play. It was a movie within a movie, an episode within an episode. Here, if you really analyze the content of this episode, 
the the narrative content, the actual beats of the storyline. Uh, they form a band. They rope Kosaga into doing something he doesn't really want to do, but he can't say no because he's a pussy. Because he can't say no, he also winds up going home with Yukari. And even though apparently nothing happens, there's this big misunderstanding, and it causes Shikata to be upset, and it makes Ayukawa mad, and Ayukawa slaps him. Those narrative beats of this episode don't really sound very different than other Orange Road episodes. It's not the actual narrative content that makes this episode so different from the rest of the oeuvre of Orange Road episodes. It's the way this episode is constructed visually. It's the use of mise-en-scene. It's the use of color. It's the delivery of the dialogue. It's the montage. It's everything that makes this episode just feel the way it feels so aesthetically bold they're not really taking any great risks with the characters they're not doing something unheard of Ayukawa slapping Kasuga Shikaru getting upset because there's been a misunderstanding I mean this is not new territory for an Orange Road episode and yet we still get this huge tonal shift for this series thanks exclusively to the aesthetic construction of this episode and I think this episode is interesting I think this episode gives a ton to talk about, a ton to think about in terms of film language and the way film is constructed and the way semantics and semiotics create meaning in film. But it's it's very different. And in my opinion, it's not really Orange Road. It's not the same as the others, stylistically, tonally. And so I doubt that I would be able to get through an entire series if it followed this narrative style and aesthetic. And it's at this point in the episode that we get the climax, and we can tell because the the audiovisual language changes here. Finally, the music kicks in real big. As Shikaru and Kasuga like mind meld or something, or maybe one or both of them start completely tripping balls. I didn't know LSD was big in Japan, but apparently it is, or at least it was in 1988. Visually, the rest of this episode is like the stuff of high MTV era. It's non-narrative imagery with like colors and psychedelia. Uh, Shikaru is fully separated from her surroundings now. There's only a black background behind and around her. She seems to be floating in space. We get cuts of her looking around off camera, left and right. Despite all of this blackness around her, what's she looking at? We get tight shots of droplets causing ripples against the same black background. It sort of evokes tears in a very abstract way. There are colors that are bleeding from Shikaru like it's an old CRT TV with messed up convergence. And there are like superimpositions of multiple shots of Shikaru. She's upside down. She's right side up. She's coming in from the left. She's coming in from the right. All the while, she's got this bewildered expression on her face as if she's having this transcendental experience that she can't explain. We see these sketchy images of Kasuga playing the drums, followed by what looks like a meteor shower. It's uh, points and lines racing across the screen. And then Kasuga seems to have teleported himself, as well as the drum kit, to the beach where Shikaru ran away. 
And it's here that Costa seems to have managed his most impressive ESP feat to date. Typically, he can't teleport very far distances, maybe across town, something like that at most. But Shikaru had to take a train to get to the beach. And Kasuga manages to teleport himself and the drum kit there. And of course, the winter beach is washed out, similar to some of our other exteriors in this episode. It's desaturated. It's lacking detail, like the sun just appears to be so bright that most detail is lost. It's this overexposed aesthetic. I mean, it really calls attention to like film stock, uh, because that's how an overexposed film stock would look. The the whites come in just so bright and they wash out all the other detail because we've overexposed that negative. And apparently, Kasuga and Shikaru make up just in time for Ayukua to arrive and witness Shikaru riding on Kasuga piggyback. We only see her kind of dismounting him. We don't actually see her get on. And again, their exchange is done and we're not even seeing Kasuga and Shikaru make up. We don't even get to see them deliver the lines to each other as they're making up. Now, Kasuga looks sheepish when Ayukawa shows up, of course. At no point in time does Kasuga explain not only how he beat Ayukawa to the beach, but how the entire fucking drum kit also got out there in the middle of the sand. No need to explain that, right? It's just Orange Road. And at the end of the episode, Shikaru claims to be perfectly fine, but I have to wonder, is she really? There's something about Shikaru very willfully deceiving herself in this episode. This is an episode where it does seem like maybe Shikaru does know that Kasuga's interests lie elsewhere. A little bit of foreshadowing for the movie. And Ayukua looks a little uncertain as well that Shikaru is just fine, but Kasuga takes her by the hand and they run after Shikaru. The principal three are now reunited. The status quo is resumed. Doesn't seem like a big deal that Kasuga grabs Ayukua's hand to run after his girlfriend. And we end with images of the principal three. They're shown happily playing in their band. They're wearing their school uniforms, though, which is kind of weird. And... As a final image, we get a very long shot of the overexposed, very whitewashed beach with the trio together as silhouettes very far off in the distance. And again, to summarize this episode, despite not being a dream, it was very dreamlike. Even familiar scenes like Abakabu are animated quite differently. The characters all seem more moody and sensitive there's no comedy. There's almost no levity at all in this episode. There's no Uma Onushko, and it's all gloom and foreboding without any lasting consequence. And if you would like to shake away the gloom and foreboding, then what I would like to recommend for you to do is head on over to patreon.com slash There you can sign up for our Patreon. You can become a patron of Team Almy Podcast Studios. We bring you this fine podcast as well as a couple of others. You'll get merch. I'm sending everybody merch. I actually ordered something very nice for our current patrons just to say, I love you this Valentine's Day. And I do love you this Valentine's Day and every day. I got a nice gift coming out for you guys. I hope it turns out very good. But I got gifts 
If you join, you'll get gifts too. You'll also get access to a whole bunch of really cool exclusive content. I'm doing video stuff, live streaming, and there's plenty more to come. Also, I'd like to please encourage everybody, go check out Creatures of the Night podcast. That's my other podcast. I will put a link in the show notes so you don't even have to go search for it. I'll make sure you get the right Creatures of the Night. It's just a fun, quirky, weirdo kind of DMT LSD on a beach in the middle of the night while we talk about werewolves kind of podcast. It's fun. It's kooky. It's not heavy. It's not political, so don't worry. Uh, But you need more stuff to listen to, and we got more stuff to listen to for you. I want to say thank you very, very much for listening to this episode. And this was a strange episode. This was a tremendous departure from Orange Road as it normally is presented. So if I'm ever going to do something weird and off the wall, it's got to be now, right? So I'm going to leave you with this. This isn't even music from Orange Road. This is music from the NES release of a game called Pictionary. So... I don't know. It sounds pretty cool. Please enjoy. I'll see you guys next week. Thanks again. 